You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with a warning from BC Ferries for anyone trying to get on or off Vancouver Island on one of its most popular routes. The Tawasson Duke Point run still hasn't recovered from a wild incident on board a vessel last night. And if you don't already have a reservation, they say you should plan to leave tomorrow instead. Aaron MacArthur is at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal now with the latest. Aaron, this was crazy. Crazy is a good way to put it, Chris. But but as you say, ferries have not recovered not only on the Duke Point Tawasson run, but Tawasson to Swartz Bay. According to BC Ferries' website, ships running anywhere between an hour and a half to two hours behind schedule, all because of a chain reaction caused by that police incident. First thing Friday morning, the backup stretched all the way down the causeway. People with reservations waiting hours to get on board. Well, very frustrating. Obviously, we weren't prepared for the delays. There was no notice given. Uh, we're about two hours delayed. We got here super early. To... And now we have a 50-minute delay. So we're just hanging out, waiting. The bottleneck Friday morning began Thursday night. Clearly, some very serious has happened on board, and they're doing their best with what they know. A police incident on board the Coastal Inspiration forced the ferry to return to Duke Point. Around nine, police were called to deal with two passengers who had loaded with their vehicle into Wasson. The ferry then left Duke Point with the pair still on board acting erratically. The ship returned to the island. One man was arrested. But the RCMP couldn't find the other one and launched an investigation. Finally towing the suspect's vehicle off the ferry hours later. We conducted a very thorough search of the vessel, looking for him, looking at cameras, talking to staff. It, was, it took a lot of time. We later realized that we believe that the individual left on foot, and this is confirmed through the cameras, and that he departed with a taxi. The delays Friday morning spilled over to include all the major routes to Vancouver Island. In Tawasson, the traffic jam caused headaches for BC Ferry staff getting to work. So there was some delays uh, through the ticketing process as well as getting our employees onto the vessels so they could start sailing this morning. The situation will take some time to resolve yet. Because the crew on the two ferries worked well into Friday morning, about 60 staff have been stood down from their Friday afternoon shifts. Sailings between Duke Point and Tawasson have been cancelled Friday from 3 p.m. onwards. We feel really fortunate that we got on the, the, the last sailing of the day here. If you're travelling without a reservation, you might want to consider travelling tomorrow. Now, an update from the Nanaimo RCMP. That second suspect was located in Nanaimo. His car that was towed off the ferry given back to him after he paid the impound. No charges have been contemplated against this pair, but BC Ferry says both will be facing a significant travel ban. Chris. All right, Aaron MacArthur reporting from Tawasson for us tonight. Thanks very much, Aaron. Okay, no end to the crisis in BC's emergency health care system tonight with Interior Health announcing the ongoing closures at the emergency room in Clearwater are going to stay in place even longer. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, Clearwater's ER has been chronically closed this year and residents don't have a lot of options there. 
Yeah, more than two dozen closures already this year. In fact, today was the eighth straight overnight closure. It was supposed to end today, but no, it's going to be extended now to September 2nd. Closed uh, the ER there in the hospital from 6 uh, p.m. to 7 a.m. the following morning. Again, this is uh, small towns paying a heavy price for a chronic staff shortage in health care, particularly in nurses. Uh, the hospital, they're down uh, to filling only six of 11 nursing positions. In a small place like this, that can be enough to require the shutdown overnight. Merlin Black while the mayor of Clearwater admits it's a small town, but not in tourist season. There are thousands of people in the region who may need health care overnight, but they have no place to go in terms of that town. Here's the mayor and a local resident. We generally see about 450,000 tourists and travelers through our section of the valley a year. Uh, we have quite a healthy tourism industry here, plus um, major industrial projects happening. So not having access to um, full-time emergency room services or uh, regular ambulance service is a big problem. And my biggest concern is, is that should we need the healthcare system at night, that we're not going to be able to access it. So again, if residents there or visitors there require emergency care overnight, they're going to be required to drive to Kamloops or a 100-mile house. Again, this will last until September 2nd. But I have a feeling, Chris, it's probably going to occur after that as well. Yeah, it sounds like the system is stressed. Keith, I won't let you go without wishing you a happy birthday, my friend. I hope you have a great <laughs> weekend. Thanks. I wasn't expecting that, but thank you very much. <laughs> no trouble. All right, thanks again, Keith. Vancouver police have issued a Canada-wide warrant after a prolific offender walked away from his halfway house. John Frederick Field has spent most of his adult life behind bars, including his most recent sentence for sexual assault, break-and-enter, and theft, served at the Kent Institution. Yesterday, he was given statutory release and sent to a halfway house in Vancouver, but later that same evening, he walked away, and he hasn't been seen since. So Vancouver police say he has a history of committing crimes while under the influence of drugs. This is a man who um, has done this before, uh, a man who has a significant history for violent offences, uh, including sex offenses, violent robberies, violent assaults. Um, we know that the, uh, the risk to public safety does elevate when he's using drugs. So the fact that he's disappeared again um, so soon after his release uh, is a significant public safety concern for us. So if you see John Frederick Field, you're asked to call 911 right away. Global News has obtained some pictures that show the extensive damage to the vehicle involved in the West Vancouver wedding tragedy last weekend. The driver, seemingly out of control, plowed into a group of guests celebrating the wedding in the front yard. Catherine Urquhart shows us why this is a complicated investigation. The White Range Rover has extensive front-end damage and their significant property destruction. These photos obtained by Global News were taken shortly after a driver plowed into a group of people celebrating a wedding in West Vancouver last weekend, killing two and injuring numerous others. West Vancouver police say that initially seven people were admitted to hospital. Five of them have now been released, including a child and the driver. The two people remaining in hospital are listed in stable condition. 
As the investigation continues, one retired collision analyst says the case will be more complicated because a Range Rover was involved and accessing the vehicle's event data recorder, or EDR, is more complex. The reason Range Rover is so difficult is they don't license uh, the ability to access it. They control it completely, so investigators will have to obtain uh, a search warrant. They will have to send that search warrant to the United States to have uh, Range Rover look over it. The actual physical uh, EDR will have to be removed and sent to France for analysis. The EDR will disclose accelerator and braking information. Also likely key to understanding what occurred, toxicology and blood work results, which might indicate if there was a medical event or possible impairment. Of course, we will be um, exploring if there is a, a, an element of criminality associated to it, certainly. Evidence also includes surveillance video. Police confirm they have CCTV footage from the incident. Even so, answers as to why this deadly tragedy occurred may not come for many months. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Now, some incredible images from a fiery crash on a highway in northeastern B.C. This was the scene yesterday around 8.30 p.m. on Highway 97, 200 kilometers north of Fort St. John. Police say a commercial tanker carrying a large amount of flammable liquid crashed into the barrier on the Sakani River Bridge and burst into flames. The driver is believed to have died in the fire. Officials can't search the scene until the bridge is deemed safe. And there is no word yet on when the road will reopen. Looking for a relationship online has become increasingly popular. But for someone on Vancouver Island, the quest for a connection has been very costly. Police are investigating a case of extortion involving an online dating app with some good photos of the suspect. And they believe there are more victims out there. Kylie Stanton shows us how it happened. itself as the world's largest dating app for the LGBTQ community, with millions of daily users making connections. But one made in Saanich is now under investigation. There were two suspects that appeared to have created an online dating profile on the app Grindr, uh, where they contacted an, and, uh, a victim. While chatting with their target, the suspects gathered personal and private information eventually arranging to meet in person. At which time the uh, suspects uh, use that information to extort this victim out of over $2,500. This surveillance image has now been released in an effort to identify the suspects, who are said to be between the ages of 18 and 20 with slim builds. One is about six feet tall, the other is 5'9". According to police, they used the online profile names Jay and Oliver. Romance scams are nothing new. They have developed over time, but this does happen in Victoria, perhaps more commonly than people like to admit. Brandon Lore is a cybersecurity and digital literacy educator. He says scammers will tend to have a sense of urgency, a tactic used to pressure their victims to share information or content they may later on regret. Common sense is best and give a relationship time to develop before you divulge any personal sensitive information. Experts also recommend not using a real name and ensuring it's different from other social media profiles. Watermark any photos so if they are disclosed without consent, it's easier to trace it back to the perpetrator. 
and be sure you're trading information as opposed to being the only one giving it up. The more that we can take a beat and just think about you know, what we're being asked to do and what those long-term consequences are, the better you can make that sort of risk assessment for yourself. Investigators believe in this case there may be other victims who have yet to come forward and are urging anyone who thinks they've been targeted to contact police. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Homicide investigators have released a sketch of a suspect in a shooting in Surrey's Guildford area earlier this month. The shooting happened in broad daylight the afternoon of August 9th. You might remember a taxi was shot up in the 14800 block of 108th Avenue. The passenger, David Chavez Jara, died at the scene and the driver was also wounded and taken to hospital. Based on their investigation, officers have put together a composite sketch of the shooter. It shows a young man with short cropped hair wearing a baseball cap. If you recognize the person depicted in this sketch, you're asked to call police. The shocking story of a toddler who almost died from an overdose. How Kelowna first responders saved the child's life and what investigators are saying about the child's parents next on the news hour. Talk about perfect timing. Sparks literally fly in this Okanagan couple's engagement photo that's coming up later. And how Nika, the Kamloops RCMP canine, is celebrating International Dog Day in more ways than one. That's coming up as well. Right now, though, a one-year-old boy is recovering after a suspected drug overdose in Kelowna. The case highlights a troubling trend as our drug crisis grows in the province. Children living with deadly drugs in the home and the possibility of accidental drug poisoning. Ramina Dea has the story. When the Mounties arrived, the one-year-old boy was lying on the hood of a vehicle, unconscious and not breathing. On arrival, the RCMP and, and, and uh, BC Ambulance found a grandfather performing CPR on this young, young boy. The child given Narcan, which counters the effects of an opioid overdose. Police told he may have ingested an unknown substance. In my career, I can't recall somebody this young being uh, involved in something like this. Uh, I mean, he's not even walking yet. He's probably just still crawling. So it's, it's pretty, uh, it, it, sh it shakes all of us. The little boy was rushed to hospital. He's expected to make a full recovery. The disturbing case not isolated. Sources tell Global News police in cities across the province, including Kelowna, Surrey and Vancouver, have investigated overdoses of children under the age of six. And in some cases, children have died. Sadly, we have seen in a couple of cases in the last few years, a couple of stories where children have passed um, uh, due to accidental poisoning. BC's representative for children and youth is urging parents and caregivers who are using drugs to have a safety plan. Given the toxicity of the drug supply, we're very mindful that there are significant risks and really encouraging families to make sure that they're very, very attentive to, um, if they are using, to ensure that their children are not exposed, because even tiny amounts can have an impact on a little one. The BC Coroner's Service and BC Children's Hospital still working on providing us with details on child overdoses and deaths. Back in Kelowna, relief that the one-year-old survived. RCMP are still investigating. So is the Children's Ministry, which is not commenting. Romina Dea, Global News. Now to an unintended consequence of the BCGEU labor strike. Dozens of private pot shops on the verge of closing 
some already locking their doors because their supply has dried up. Liquor and cannabis distribution branches are behind picket lines. And as Paul Johnson shows us, it means high time for black market sellers who are cashing in big time. Well, the black market always strives, man. Meet the apparent winners in the strike by B.C. liquor and cannabis workers. We agreed to show neither the faces nor the location of this Vancouver black market. But they had enough product to supply a Snoop Dogg festival. And business was great. Have you noticed a change in sales since the strike action started at the government stores? 100%, yeah. But take a short drive across town to see how those entrepreneurs who chose to go legit are doing. Ditto for this pot shop in Port Moody. In fact, all across B.C., the closed signs are going up on the legal cannabis business. I know of 50 locations across B.C. that have either closed their doors completely or seriously curtailed their hours. Industry rep Jacqueline Pahoda offered this dire prediction. That unless something changes... 70% of the province's legal stores will be shut down by Tuesday. We were hanging on, uh, you know, making ends meet. Uh, but I would say that, you know, this is a very, very challenging um, circumstance for a lot of the legal cannabis retailers to overcome. We want it! The problem is this. Because of the way legalization was rolled out in B.C., all of the province's private stores must source their product from the government liquor and cannabis distribution centers that are currently behind picket lines. While liquor sellers can source product from craft producers and rely on inventory stores, many cannabis products have a short shelf life and they've got nowhere else to go. Pahoda says she tried to explain that to Victoria to come up with a workaround. That has fallen on like, deaf ears. There has been, there's no intent to do any of those things from what I've heard from government. Even assuming the strike is resolved shortly, her industry stands to lose even more ground to the resilient black market, which competes on variety, price, and now business hours. Black market, there's never a strike. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News. Now an update into the investigation into a big brawl at English Bay last June. The altercation with Vancouver police and a crowd of about 10 people led to charges for assaulting and obstructing a police officer. Global News has learned charges against Anthony King have been stayed, and that occurs when Crown prosecutors have determined that a trial is unlikely to result in a conviction. Still ahead, grieving parents demand justice for their daughter. I watch the cars drive here, and I see how fast they drive. The changes they want at the intersection where their young girl died. Good evening. Still really busy for northbound traffic over here at the Massey Tunnel with only one lane out of Delta. It's slow from south of Highway 17A. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $31 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Family and friends of a young woman have been gathering at a crash site in Chilliwack nightly to remember 19-year-old Chloe DeRoche, who was skateboarding when she was struck and killed by a pickup truck. Her family is raising concerns about how it could have happened. And now, as Amadagahi reports, police are sharing new details about their investigation. Such a good kid. Almost one full month has passed since 19-year-old Chloe DeRoche was struck and killed by a pickup truck. 
The force of the impact, her family says, left her with no chance of survival. My daughter was thrown several feet. Over 18 meters. Over 18 meters. Her little cell phone was, like, crushed into a million pieces. Her organs were undonatable. The collision happened at about 10.30 on the night of August 1st. Chloe was headed east on Nevin Road and was hit as she crossed the poorly lit rural intersection of Ford Road on her skateboard. The Chilliwack RCMP holding details of the investigation close, but will share it is investigating alcohol as a potential contributing factor. One beer is too many. Unfortunately, the wheels of justice turn slowly, and this means that it can take uh, several months, even sometimes years, to gather all of the investigation necessary to prove that dangerous driving, speed, or alcohol were causes or contributors to collisions. On just a 500-meter stretch of Ford Road, the available ICBC data between 2017 and 2021 shows there have been 10 crashes ranging in severity, four at the intersection with Yale Road, three crashes at Sachet, and three more at the intersection where Chloe was killed at Nevin Road. Although neighbors say they have seen numerous other incidents and close calls that are unreported. I've recorded numerous vehicles traveling northbound at excess of 20 to 30, 40 kilometers over the speed limit. We should probably look at modifying the intersection, adding lighting, putting in four-way stops. The cost of a stop sign is minimal to and our loss. Friends, family, and neighbors have gathered nightly to remember Chloe at a roadside memorial that for weeks now has lit up the otherwise dark intersection. Emadagahi, Global News. Up next, Rich Coleman returns. That maybe I could attract a team of younger people who could enter public life and be the leaders of the future. What drew the former deputy premier back to municipal politics and what he wants to deliver as mayor of Langley Township. Plus, startling details in the document showing why federal agents searched Donald Trump's private estate. It's super busy over here at Tawasson Ferry Terminal. Earlier police investigation has delayed or outright cancelled all the sailings from Tawasson to the island for this evening. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. Interest you in Global One at the Tawasson Ferry Terminal. One of B.C.'s more recognizable politicians is announcing today his intent to run in the Langley Township mayoral race. Former Deputy Premier Rich Coleman is throwing his name in the mix, and he'll lead a new municipal political party called Elevate Langley. Richard Zussman has more on the race. He is one of the best-known politicians in the province, and now Rich Coleman wants back in. With COVID and seeing how people struggled and what have you, and the people in my community that would call me and ask me for help, even just little things because I served them for so long, I just thought I still had an itch for public service. The former Liberal leader and Solicitor General now wants to be the mayor of Langley Township, a community where the 66-year-old served as an MLA for nearly a quarter century. Whether it be overpasses, whether it be interchanges, whether it be expansion of, of, of lanes on number one highway, all of these things I've had a part of. But this blast from the past also comes with baggage. Coleman was part of the B.C. Liberal government, criticized for falling behind on addressing housing, 
transit and child care. And the Cullen Commission, looking into money laundering, found he failed to and funds did not end up in casinos. But Coleman and all his colleagues were cleared of any corruption allegations. We did our best job we could. There are a lot of factors in this file. It wasn't just that piece. I would argue Rich Coleman has the wrong kind of connections, connections we don't want, that resulted in a vast collection of very questionable decision-making with so many unanswered questions. I don't see that as experience or connections that we want. The field is crowded, with incumbent Jack Froze not running again. Along with Coleman, there's current councillors Eric Woodward and Blair Whitmarsh, as well as former councillor Michelle Spiro, all with experience, all offering something a little different for voters. I'm a mother. Um, I'm on the younger side. And uh, it's a, a voice that's often not represented. I've been involved in community soccer. I've helped coach a number of other kinds of sports. And uh, I've been on council now for eight years. And uh, I'm really pleased and delighted that our current mayor, Jack Froze, has endorsed me. The township is one of the fastest growing communities in the province, with pressure on housing and roadways. And it's those in the township that will get to decide October 15th if they want to welcome Coleman back or try something else. Richard Zussman, Global News. Today, the U.S. Department of Justice released a heavily redacted version of the affidavit that lays out the justification for the search of former President Donald Trump's Florida home. Despite the redactions, it shows just how much concern existed for the documents Trump was holding on to. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. The door hasn't been blown open, but it's been cracked enough to allow a sneak peek after a judge forced the U.S. Justice Department to explain why it carried out a search at Donald Trump's Florida resort. It seems unlikely that any judge would have issued a warrant for a former president's home if it hadn't been a very the Justice Department was concerned releasing this search affidavit would compromise witness safety and the investigation's integrity. Its explanations were heavily redacted. What was made public was the grave concern for national security following a year-long fight to get documents back to Washington. Trump's legal team did send back 15 boxes in January and in May. agent said that contained 184 classified documents. 67 were marked confidential. 92 as secret, and 25 as top secret. That might explain why the Attorney General made that unprecedented statement in mid-August. I personally approve the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. The former president has baselessly argued this to be a political attack while claiming he had a bogus standing authority to declassify information, much of which was found in arm's reach at a private club. And there's no other former president that has kept classified documents in his possession at his home long after he was told repeatedly to return them. In its reasoning, the Department of Justice said there were concerns obstruction might exist at Mar-a-Lago, which it felt required a heavy-handed approach. It took only a matter of minutes for Donald Trump to hit back at this redacted release, calling it a public relations subterfuge while saying that it shows nothing, which ignores the realities that this is still an active criminal investigation. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. The CTV news executive at the center of the Lisa Laflamme debacle is now on leave nearly two weeks after the CTV national anchor was dumped. An internal email states Michael Melling has decided to go on leave immediately to, quote, spend time with his family. In a video on social media, Laflamme said she was blindsided by Bell Media's decision to end her contract after 35 years.
Bell has called Laflamme's removal a business decision, but it has raised questions about ageism and sexism. Last week, the Globe and Mail reported that Melling asked who had approved the decision to let Lisa's hair go gray. Two household names in the pandemic are now embroiled in a lawsuit. Moderna is suing Pfizer and its German partner BioNTech for patent infringement. Moderna alleges Pfizer copied technology that was developed years before the pandemic to develop the first COVID-19 vaccine. In 2020, Moderna said it would not enforce its COVID-19-related patents while the pandemic continued. Then, this past March, with vaccine supplies improving globally, it said it would update that pledge. It's not clear what damages Moderna is seeking. The lawsuit has been filed in both U.S. federal court and a German court. Up next, lightning strikes for lovers in the Okanagan. The story behind the electrifying engagement photo still to come. And coming up in sports, training greatness. The Abbotsford Academy pumping out Stanley Cup champions. A recent marriage proposal in Kelowna was nothing short of, how do we put this, electrifying. This was the scene just seconds after Liam Duncan got the answer he was looking for from his now fiancée, Alyssa Hemming. A massive lightning bolt appears directly behind them, leaving the Osuyas couple and their onlooking friends and family shocked, for lack of a better word. The images were taken at Magic Estates in Kelowna and captured by photographer Danica Kamba back on August 22nd. While the images have spread on social media like wildfire since then, thankfully, the viral bolt didn't actually spark one. Thank goodness. They get a rainbow out of the deal, too. Amazing. It's destined for greatness. All right, let's check and see if there's any rainbows in the forecast coming up here. Christy, what do we expect for the weekend? Well, anytime you get a thunderstorm, Chris, really, you have the potential of a rainbow, that's for sure. But really, it's important to remember how dangerous lightning is. Anytime a thunderstorm is in around you and you can actually hear thunder, you have the potential of being struck by lightning. We now know that thunder, uh, sorry, um, uh, lightning can travel further than the actual sound of the thunder. So just be aware of that. Uh, we had lightning strikes all across the province again today. Severe thunderstorm warnings as well. No, none in place right Right now, uh, currently, we just have uh, areas under a watch. So thankfully, nothing uh, that we're dealing with at this time. But I just wanted to show you the areas we're still watching. And it includes 100 Mile, the South Caribou region, the North Thompson, North Columbia, West Columbia. And uh, those are the regions that have a number of lightning strikes, as you can see here. So when thunder roars, head indoors, everyone. All right. Tomorrow, the focus of the thunderstorms will be from the Okanagan Valley through the Columbia and the Kootenai region. And it begins begins in through the morning hours and then shifts off into Alberta throughout the day. So a clearing trend on the way. North Coast region, though, periods of rain for you. And we've had a fair amount of cloud. What a change for the South Coast today. Much cooler conditions with cloud cover. That is going to shift out tomorrow morning. Much of Metro Vancouver will see sunshine, out, although Northeast Metro Vancouver, uh, Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows, and out through the Fraser Valley, lingering cloud cover and scattered showers still in the forecast for your Saturday. It's more towards 
towards your Sunday that you will see sunshine. So there's that thunderstorm activity, Kamloops down to Asuyus and then east, whereas the south coast, that chance of showers in through the Fraser Valley, northeast metro Vancouver. Otherwise, enjoy. We're back to a mix of sun and cloud tomorrow, and it looks like things will be heating up in the next couple of days, certainly early next week. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from uh, Houston Lake or Hudson Lake. I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but Ken sending, sending me this. This is Greta Gordon. Believe it or not, Greta Gordon actually named after me, which is so cool. Thanks so much, Ken, for that. Very cool. Happy International Dog Day to them, too. And that <laughs> that takes us to our next story. Christy, thanks very much for that. An RCMP police dog in Kamloops is celebrating International Dog Day, as she should, with an arrest. Officers were looking for a man wanted on a warrant this morning. Two-year-old police dog Nika and her handler tracked the man and found him hiding in some bushes. The 26-year-old was taken into custody without incident. Nika is getting an extra treat today to celebrate her arrest. Dogs. We don't deserve them. <laughs> Happy International Dog Day to Henry, my dog, who's sitting at home right now, probably playing with a ball, which is a good segue to sports. You're right. We're going to show things that involve various types of balls. we got a football We'll talk about, um, what else will we talk about? Golf, mm-hmm. small ball, soccer, slightly bigger sphere. And also uh, talk about the Yale Hockey Academy. They don't use a ball, they use a puck. We'll talk all about that coming up. Pumping out some pretty good hockey players too. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up, satellite debris. Squires here with sports. The O'Connor era begins for the BC Lions. Yes. Am I, why am I taller than you? Because that's just, are you? that's that's yeah, not, you are. That's fake news. <laughs> that's right. That we I'm can't. taller than you. Let's can't have it, that. Let's make it real. Let's make it real. Got to keep it real here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're right. Uh, and Nathan Rourke had a surgery today on his foot. So the Lions have announced that everything went well. In fact, there's a picture on Twitter. I couldn't get it up in time, but it's uh, Rourke giving it two thumbs up. Uh, as I said, everything went well. That's good news. He won't be at the game tonight. Still hard to say how long this will take to heal, but I think it would be a pretty big surprise if Nathan Rourke could come back and play later in the year. It would be great. I don't think it's going to happen. Tonight, the Lions, as Chris mentioned, are home. They're against the Riders. Michael O'Connor, he's now your starting quarterback. Okay, let's see how the Seahawks are doing. It's their final exhibition game in Dallas. I'm sure you've been there. Mm-hmm. Although I haven't seen the mecca of football there yet. All right. Drew Locke. Ow. That was his problem in Denver. Okay, go back to the drawing board, try again. This time it works. Drew Locke, Penny Hart, although this is a nice catch. That's a touchdown. Now Locke would throw another interception. The Seahawks are leading 13-10 at halftime. After this, they get ready for the regular season. Well, as we said, the BC Lions are at home tonight. The game will start at 7.30, and as soon as that game is over, the stadium crew at BC Place has to change everything and turn it into a soccer pitch because the Whitecaps play Nashville tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Nashville has one of the top players in the league in Hani Mukhtar, so Vancouver is going to have to stop him, obviously, and when they do stop him, Fanny Sartini says his team has to be on the fast track on the counterattack. And uh, when we win the ball, being as fast as we can, try to exploit the 
the space, uh, especially in between uh, defenders and uh, uh, central defenders and fullback. Yeah, we don't have to go very wide and cross because they have they have one of the best defense in the box. So we need to be more vertical, as vertical as we can. The Henderson sisters had a two-hour rain delay at the Canadian Women's Open today. Lori Kane, her 30th and final Canadian Open. She never won this event, but she won four in her LPGA career. Here's the new queen of women's golf in Canada, Brooke Henderson. That's a birdie putt in number six. We've all had this happen, haven't we? Oh. That resulted in a bogey, but she would get a birdie on the ninth hole. She finished five under after... Uh, her two rounds were done. She is eight off the lead. Maddie Zurich, the top Canadian at seven under par. Five of the 18 Canadians made the cut. Okay, the hockey season, as we know now, never truly goes away. Even the women are playing their world championship right now in Denmark. And it's August, as we all know. And for kids and pros alike, they train all summer. One of the best around here at training future pros and just better players in the amateur ranks is the Yale Academy in Abbotsford. A number of their graduates have either been in the NHL or are currently starring in the league right now. Hockey academies are relatively new to the Canadian sports scene. Their roots only go back about 25 years and was kick-started when Hockey Canada felt Canadian players were lacking terribly in the skills department behind our European counterparts. 1998 was uh, uh, a state of cardiac arrest for our game. Uh, that was the failure of the Olympic team. Wayne Gretzky didn't get to shoot. That kick-started a summit uh, of Hockey Canada and the concept of sport academies and making use of daytime use and partnerships with school boards. That's when it all started. And uh, we came on board in 2004 as a Hockey Canada Skills Academy. And then we joined the Canadian Sports School Hockey League in 2013. And Yale has turned out to be fertile ground for many hockey players looking to use the academy experience as a springboard to a pro career. Defenseman Devon Taves and Bowen Byram just won the Stanley Cup together with the Avalanche this past spring. It's a pretty impressive list that also includes Shea Theodore, the Golden Knights, and current Abbotsford Canuck Noah Juleson, who still uses the facilities today. Well, what I love about our alumni is that they still stay connected. Noah Juleson you know, still works out here in the off-season. Devon Taves, uh, if I need a, a helping hand to recruit a kid, Devon says, hey, I'll, I'll talk to him and talk about my experiences at Yale. Logan Stankoven was at Yale for one year as a 14-year-old. He just helped Canada win gold at the World Juniors, is a star with the Kamloops Blazers, and was a second-round pick of the Dallas Stars. And he feels going to Yale really paved the way to that success. Takes a return pass, being able to compete against the, the best players only makes you a better play, uh, player. And the lessons I learned and uh, the whole teaching experience, even just going to school, um, you know, it's just a great setup. Of course, most of these players don't make it to the pros, but that doesn't mean their time at Yale wasn't a success. We've got some of our alumni that are doctors now. We've got uh, some of our alumni that have started their own business and are successful. Those skills that you learn in our program, on ice, off ice, translate into a, into a, a life experience that's hopefully going to make you successful, even if it's not in hockey. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. We got more for you, though. He's back with Satellite Debris next. 
New dad, Jordan Armstrong, keeps crazy <laughs> hours anyway, so he's uh, up tonight with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. You know, I brought an espresso machine lately, so uh, it keeps me going. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, homicide investigators have identified the man killed in Surrey on Wednesday. Police say 47-year-old Frank James was killed in his home on 76th Avenue, east of 184th Street. They haven't said how James died, but when officers arrived on scene, they found him with life-threatening injuries. At 11, who police want to speak to as they continue their investigation. Plus, ahead of Overdose Awareness Day, which is Monday, the group Moms Stop the Harm is holding a vigil in downtown Vancouver tonight. And we'll have more on that at 11. Chris? All right. Thanks very much for that, Jordan. All right. Back to Squire now for Satellite Debris and ending the week, as usual, with some laughter. Yes. Probably. Hopefully. Yeah. Oh, and also... Because it's National Dog Day. Is it National yes, Dog it Day? Yes, it is. International Dog Day. Oh, International Dog Day. Yeah. That's even bigger. Okay, well, we'll have some dogs on the show, too. All right. First of all, though, a couple from Liberty Mutual. Here we go. And Doug. All right, Limo, give me a socket wrench. Suppliers. And a phone open to LibertyMutual.com. They customize your car insurance so you only pay for what you need. And you can even save $652 when you switch. Okay, I need a crowbar and a blowtorch. Limu, call a mechanic. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Cell phone repair. Did you know Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need? Just get a quote at LibertyMutual.com. Really? Let me check that out. Oh, yeah. I think I might get a quote. Not again. Come on, guys. Do your thing. Only pay for what you need. Liberty, 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 liberty. Does that actually work, dumping it in rice? Come on, rice, do your thing. Yeah, it does work. Okay, so it's International Dog Day. So I've been told. All right, well, you, you would know these things. So with that in mind, GoPro put together a number of its favorite dog with a GoPro videos. Here's some of them. cute puppy. Yep, pampered dog, that's yep. for sure. Okay, the last uh, segment here has two old favorites from Heineken. Here we go. Top model singing on ice. But first, men with talent. 
baby doll. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When there's a hurricane coming, a six-pack of Heineken and a badminton set is all you need, really. Maybe not. All right. Uh, before we go, let's check in with Christy and uh, look at the weekend weather. So we still do have a chance of showers overnight, but overall things will clear for our Saturday, but not for all of Metro Vancouver. Those of you in northeastern sections along the mountains will likely see some lingering cloud cover out through the Fraser Valley as well. So a slight chance of showers for you tomorrow, but you'll see more sunshine by Sunday. But overall, it's really just one day event for most areas, and we're back to sunshine, and temperatures are going to warm up as we head into the early parts of next week. Uh, so still more summer on the way as we're heading into the last week before kids head back to school so i know a lot of parents would be uh, enjoying the fact that we have more summer like weather on the way no doubt yeah it's not over yet that's for sure thanks very much for watching christy good luck to the lions tonight have a great weekend everybody